Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Brown, and welcome to the Millie Podcast. The more I talk with people, the more I'm hearing the same thing. We're all looking for more meaning and more substance. People want to get away from the scripted reality and get to the heart of each person's story. This podcast is for women who want to rip up the script and explore new ideas, places, and possibilities. Every two weeks, I'll be talking with an inspiring and inspired woman who is creating impact in her community. And more importantly, a woman who can teach us to be ourselves, go after our dreams, and write our own story. I can't wait to share this journey with you. It's time to see the world in a different way. I think I really became a real rebel from the age of 15, running away at weekends to go up to London to raves. I started taking drugs early. I was experimenting. I just wanted to live life on the edge. Today, I'm talking with Natasha Slater. Based out of Italy, Natasha is an entrepreneur, lover of the arts, global citizen, and rebel. Men have a much maybe healthier relationship with competition. What happens between women and women is women bond with each other. And then when they start to see that somebody else could be moving forward or have a better idea, they could pull back. I've had the privilege of getting to know Natasha over the past few months, and we'll be getting into it all. The way to go about it is ultimately by being authentic to yourself. And if you think about that, Chelsea, not a lot of people do that. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'd like to do that. Or that'd be really cool if I could do that. But what if you actually did it? What if you chose it and you were relentless about going after it? I love her take on life and how her story reminds us to be confident, to be ourselves and to just go for it. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you for joining me You're today. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. I mean, I've been away. I've been traveling. But I mean, a terrible thing happened to oh, me. Gosh. My boyfriend dumped me <gasps> no. a week ago, Chelsea. And it was, I have been in a huge depression. So I've managed to get out of it about, you know, like a couple of weeks just through kind of therapy, meditation and everything. But it really shocked me. I mean, it's quite normal, three and a half years, but still, I thought I found out he was flirting with my friends on Instagram and like we were separated and I had no idea that any of this, that he was basically chasing women on the internet and I had no idea. Oh my gosh. I am, I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you for, for sharing this with me. Maybe this in some ways was supposed to happen to me. I don't know because I tell you something, <laughs> I have learned so much in these five weeks and, you know, I've gained so many new tools on how to handle adversity, issues, problems. So in some ways, it was funny when I read through what we're going to talk about. I was like, wow, OK, I have loads of information. Well, you know how fond of you I am. And thank you for opening up your life to me because everything you say is like people need to shut up and listen. <laughs> oh, thank you. So I, I and, and you know, absolutely, I think this is such a relatable topic. And I'm, again, so sorry this happened to you, but it's absolutely meant to be in, I mean, his loss. Who, who is everyone kidding here? <laughs> I obviously need to go to the next level of my life and I had to get rid of some old people. And luckily they got rid of themselves, you know? Yep. So in some ways it's a blessing. Yes. 
I'm learning that every event that happens in our life yes. is significant. That's the thing. Every moment counts. So what does it mean to you to have this platform to be a global figure and inspire women and girls through um, your initiatives, like the dinner conversations? Well, I mean, I'm very proud if that is what I managed to achieve to do. You know, I think we all need to be reminded to have a place um, just as our social media platform on dinner conversations where, you know, we can remind women of, you know, the strength and courage they have and their abilities, you know, because so often in our society as women, we're conditioned into so many different beliefs right from when we were children, you know, it begins right there. Um, and so when I created dinner conversations, I really wanted to create an event that really brought a lot of different women together. I invite around 50 women to uh, to dinner every month when obviously that this was pre-COVID <laughs> and uh, and you know it becomes very very interesting but it's powerful to connect women and I had to be in a elevated place in order to do that you know you can't be in a place where you're sitting there going oh you know uh, often as women we don't like to share we can be competitive with other women. Um, we can feel concerned when we introduce somebody and something great happens to somebody else. And we often feel like there's not something in it for us. And to get to the place where I created dinner conversations, I had to be a different version of myself in order just to begin it. You know, you had to be in a place where you wanted to freely connect other women for their benefit and enjoy that. I love that. How does the conversation need to change between women? Well, I think women feel that there's not enough for them, you know. So what happens between women and women is I often find that women bond with each other, get really excited when they meet somebody inspirational and uh, brainstorm five million ideas again and say, let's do this and that. And then when they start to see that maybe somebody else could be moving forward or have a better idea, they could pull back often, you know, and feel like, well, you know, uh, start seeing that person as competition. And this is where the problem arises. You know, men have a much maybe healthier relationship with competition because competition exists and it's healthy, by the way, you know, competition, there's nothing wrong with it. And women often look at competition as a lack for something of themselves. And that conversation needs to change. You know, women never need to come to the table feeling that they're not enough. And, uh, you know, sometimes somebody else is going to win. Sometimes it's not your day. Sometimes you're going to take a big nosedive. And, and other times it's going to turn around and, you know, the golden door opens for you. And that's life, you know. And oftentimes women uh, will want to try to prevent other women to go forward or be threatened by women that are, you know, successful or, you know, or have ideas of what a successful woman is. You know, um, we compare ourselves to each other way too much. Mm -hmm. Was there a moment that you remember when you knew the dinner conversations needed to be a thing? It was actually two years before I founded it because I needed to be in the right mental frame of mind. You know, I needed to be that woman. And although I've always sort of been in my own lane because, you know, I'm very much a bit of a, I like to 
describe myself as a bit of a rebel, which I am. <laughs> and uh, so I think I had lots of similarities that I could relate to. And I've had lots of experiences that I could say were empowering of choices that I've made in my life, you know, where I could have chosen an easier route. And I just went for a maybe more difficult one or went for one that was more authentic to what I wanted to do without knowing what the outcome was. But I do think that I needed to become a little bit more elevated in certain areas within the industry and not just be a rebel, for instance. You know, I needed to be able to be with all types of women and I needed to do a little bit of work on myself to be able to start talking about female empowerment. You know, you can't just sort of set out and talk about something if you haven't researched it, lived it uh, and worked on yourself. You know, we have to be our living study. You know, we can't go out and sort of become an ambassador or something if we're not experienced and we haven't done the work, Chelsea, you know, we've got to do the work. And, uh, and so, you know, I spent a couple of years doing the work and life events uh, came and happened. And then, uh, you know, then I just went for it. Timing was right. Timing something else. It's everything. And and everything felt right. Uh, Funnily enough, I wasn't sure about the name ever. And then in the end, I just decided to go for it anyway, because uh, I was trying to think of something else and I couldn't think of anything better. And I thought I shouldn't let that stop me. So, uh, you know, I went for it. I love that. I, I want to know more about this rebel side. Like paint this picture, please. I know you founded um, Punks Wear Prada, which was a nightclub. Yeah. And, you know, what was it like? A day in a life of the rebel. Well, I mean, I think of myself as a much more of a rebel way before <laughs> Punks Prada, actually. I think I really became a real rebel from the age of 15. I think that's where my rebellious side really came. I mean, I was in boarding school and I was... Uh, you know, I was running away at weekends to go up to London to raves and it was completely, you know, unsafe. And, uh, you know, I started taking, you know, if we say this, I started taking drugs early. I was experimenting. I just wanted to live life um, on the edge. I don't know why I wanted to live life on the edge. Uh, not that I was necessarily putting myself in ridiculously dangerous situations, but I wanted to experience things and I wasn't afraid. That's something else. I look back on my life and say, well, how were you more afraid of doing? That was crazy. You can't, you did that. My gosh. You know, and instead I wanted to experience it all. I wanted to know what it felt like. And I never really thought about myself as sort of, I guess I grew up never, ever thinking that I needed a man next to me. Uh, which has been a little bit more problematic maybe in my adult life, but uh, I never saw myself or identified myself as a woman's not being enough with a, a man beside me. So I've always felt very much an embodiment of female and male energy. And I still think of myself in that way. I mean, I have a very strong little boy <laughs> that guides me. And uh, and I guess in when I say rebel, because, you know, I come from a very different background and I got into club promotion, you know, I started out DJing. Well, actually, it was when I was doing my degree in fine arts in London that I got into working behind a bar. And I just loved it. I mean, and I think my mother thought that I was absolutely cuckoo. You know, why are you working in a bar? But I loved it. You know, I was fascinated by that world. And I felt useful within nightlife. You know, I felt like I always had something to add to it. And I started by learning how that industry worked behind a bar. So I'm really self-made when it comes to even nightlife promoting. You know, I know how to make all the drinks. <laughs> I know how to run a team. I know how to deal with the security. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit rebellious, the whole job in itself, because it's unpredictable. You never know, especially in London, working in London, you know, every night ends with a fight somewhere, you know. <laughs> it's not exactly a place for proper little girls. <laughs> but I like that. Maybe I was fascinated by that, but I was 
was also good at it. And that's another thing. And I think from there, I started DJing because in this place, which was very cool, it was called the 333 Club Mother Bar. There, I noticed there were a lot of DJs and a lot of parties. I'm talking about 98, 97 in London. And I just noticed that there were no female DJs. And I thought, wow, you know, we know the owner of the club. Let's get behind the DJ booth. And this was at the time with my one of my best friends who then became the manager of Florence and Machine. And, uh, and I thought, wow, it's cool to see a woman behind the DJ booth. Why aren't there more women playing music? So we started with that. So I started DJing. And then obviously, inevitably from DJing, I started creating my own parties. But I'd seen all this already when I was working behind this bar while I was a student. You know, I saw how people created parties. So it, I was very influenced by that period in London. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's incredible going from partying and then motherhood. And now you founded Natasha Slater Studio, Punks for Prada, The Dinner Conversations. You're a woman of action. Um and it's incredibly inspiring. I, I do want to quickly touch on your childhood. You have English and Italian parents. What was your childhood like? Oh, Chelsea, it's a book, my childhood. It really, when I say that, I mean it. It could be a TV series. And it was pretty crazy. I mean, I lived, I went to eight different schools probably by the time of 18 by the age of 18 and and that was and that's not including all the different countries that we lived in so you know I was born in Paris grew up in Boston and you know England in the countryside Milan uh, London they went to San Francisco I mean that we moved around a lot a lot of creative characters my father was a university professor through my childhood and then went into work at the government and the treasury in the UK um, lots of artists and, you know, just to name somebody important who I grew up around. I mean, Francis Bacon, you know, I, I've spent entire weekends on, on end with the artist Francis Bacon from the age of seven onwards. You know, how can you not be influenced by these people? You know, there was never any discussion in my life about, you know, sexuality, you know, people of all different sexuality were, were in our lives and, uh, Definitely bohemian, but bohemian educated, you know, but there was a lot of chaos too. There were a lot of chaos. There was a lot of uh, turmoil. There was drama. There was definitely drama. My mother's originally Sicilian. My father is British. My mum grew up in New York. So she's like a Sicilian New Yorker, you know, and uh, there was, it was definitely drama. My childhood was, there was never a dull day, really. Uh, Let's say I had to grow up pretty quickly. You know, so I was already pretty mature by the time of eight. You know, I knew what was going on in the world. Uh, and and I kind of was living with a lot of sense of responsibility from a child. So in some ways, uh, very, very interesting. In some ways, uh, maybe a, a little bit too much, you know, sometimes. Not the childhood I've chosen to give my daughter, that's for sure. But it definitely defined me and made me who I am today. In that drama, there was a lot of pain. So um, it wasn't all fun times. And when you found your love for art and ultimately became a DJ, how did music and art save you? I think I was always very creative from when I was a child. Um, And, you know, I grew up around, as I said, a lot of quite defining artists. And I think it's, you know, I think when you're a child and you have somebody like a painter like Francis Bacon next to you, um, it's hard not to be, if you have a creative side, it's hard not to be inspired. 
So I wanted to be a painter, you know, after knowing Francis, that was what I wanted to do as a child. My dream as a child was to be a painter. Um, and, you know, art's still very much important. And I was also lucky to have a mother that had many art books. You know, we had lots of beautiful books in the house and we also had lots of great records. So I remember, you know, uh, looking in sort of my parents' sort of 1950s, 60s record collection. And I think music you know, became an important part of my life because music is in some ways an escape as well. It is a place where you create an outer or external world. You know, you can live within music and you can go somewhere else. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about music. And it's always been, you know, music has become a soundtrack for my life. So when I think about events in my life, I think about pieces of music or, you know, um, I just, you know, I just remember that. And so, you know, when I was got into 15 years old already, you know, pop rock and punk became quite important to me. But from the early ages of 12, like pop music and Madonna, you know, Papa Don't Preach, I probably had that like on repeat on my Walkman or something, you know. Um, and art, art was always important. I was always around creative people. So, you know, art's always important. And I like to think of whatever I do today, in some ways, even when I do my dinner conversations where I invite women, I often describe it to other people as me curating an, a gallery or a show. Because the way I invite people to my events, I try to curate interesting people together. I think very carefully about who I'm putting together and who I'm putting in a room together, you know, in the same way... Uh, you know, a gallerist or a curator would put paintings together. You know, there has to be a harmony, there has to be a synergy, but there has to be also some disruption going on or a conversation, a story you're telling. Mm -hmm. I love what you said, music is an escape, because I think when we listen to music, we can really, you know, be whoever we want in our minds. There's no rule book. And it's really cool how you channeled that. I think, you know, music is something where when you're growing up and you need to find answers to questions you don't even know how to ask, music helps you. And I think in that particular time when I grew up, that was very much, you know, the beginning of an MTV generation and music videos in which we're about the 80s. I remember seeing Boy George on the TV for the first time and we had Top of the Pops in the UK. And I was like, wow, you can you can look like that. You can dress like that. You know, even Madonna. I mean, Madonna was defining for me as a role model of a kind of woman I could be, an independent woman. I mean, I think that regardless of what we think about her today, you know, she's gone a little bit loopy, but... Um, you know, when I was 12 in the 80s, when she came out, I definitely wanted to be that kind of woman. I identified with that. You know, I wanted to be independent. I wanted to make my own way. And I wanted to break free from any kind of, you know, hold that anyone else would have on me. And I think my childhood definitely defined me just because of that, that I wanted to make my own way. And I wanted to be independent. I always wanted to be in a place and I still do today where I can walk away from anything that doesn't feel right to me and know that I'm financially independent to do that. You seem to really connect with the aha moments. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. How do you think that you've retained the essence of who you are through these transitions that you've made? Or maybe you're discovering new things about yourself. I think about that quite often. I think that we're always uh, rewriting our story. Um, 
And But I think the way to go about it is ultimately by being authentic to yourself. And if you think about that, Chelsea, not a lot of people do that. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'd like to do that. Or that'd be really cool if I could do that. But what if you actually did it? What if you chose it and you were relentless about going after it and just saying, well, you know, no is not an option for me. I'm going to live my life on my terms. You know, living your life on your terms is 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 challenging. It's not easy. I mean, oftentimes I wish sometimes I'd have cho- chosen an easier road, you know, because when you when you ask life for a lot, everything is going to hurt more. You know, everything is going to be more. So when you ask for a lot, you're going to have to expect a, a lot of, you know, challenges coming your way. And, and that's something I've definitely learned. You know, if it was easy, then, uh, you know, you'd have to ask for less if you want it to be easy. It's going to be hard when you ask for a lot. So I think anyone who puts themselves in a situation where they're saying, you know, I want that, um, this is what I really want, there's what you want, and then you have to go and get it. So, and you're not going to get it re, you know, rereading the old chapter in your book or in your life or living in the past. So you've got to constantly put yourself mentally in a place where you're living in your future self, you know, and that's something I practice, you know, now more so than ever. And I do that with meditation and I'm very much an advocate for meditation and, and I'm quite disciplined in my life. That's something else, you know? So when I say rebellious, I'm rebellious in a very disciplined way. (laughs) I mean, what I mean by rebellious is like, I refuse to, to take, you know, I'll take the road less traveled any day, you know, the the one that I don't know what's going to happen down the road, but I'll be disciplined because if I want to take that road, I'm going to have to work harder than a lot of other people. I'm going to have to face maybe more difficulties and I'm going to need a mental stamina to get through them, you know, because life is going to come and slam you in the face. And it does on a daily basis to not just to me, to everyone. And you have to be able to be determined. And the only way you can be determined is if you're disciplined. You've been open about your struggles with anxiety yeah, and bulimia. Yes. And now that we're talking about discipline, um, I love your motto, your mantra. Make it happen. Wake up. Dress up. Make up. Show up. Can you walk me through um, what each uh, part of this means to you? Well, I think you know, they all kind of are the same, aren't they really, you know, make it happen, meaning that you are responsible for your own destiny. So, you know, all of them mean that show up, you know, make it happen, choose your thoughts. They're all about taking action, but essentially about taking responsibility because anything that you want in your life, you have to take first responsibility. I mean, no one's going to go out. It's not going to be something exterior that's just going to happen to you. I mean, we'd all love to win the lottery and, you know, that, that does happen to people. Uh, but you know, it's, it's not in every single person's life. Most people, um, to get what they want have had to put themselves in a position, uh, where their thought believes that that's possible and attract that, you know, so I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. Um, that's having said that I have struggled in my life with depression, anxiety. I have, uh, only recently won, and let's hope I've crossed our fingers recently really won a 25 year battle of bulimia. So it started when I was around 15 years old. The thing about bulimia or any kind of addiction, especially when you live with it for a long time is that it's not necessary in every day um, you know, it's not necessarily an everyday occurrence. And there are some moments which are 
worse than others. So you might go through some months, which are worse, and then it kind of clears up and it goes away a bit and you think that you're over it and you've got the battle. So obviously I did try traditional therapy from everything from psychologists to psychiatrics. Uh, you know, I tried in the past antidepressants. I went to acupuncturists. I tried healers. I tried the works and I eventually ended up doing the 12 step program as well, which actually freed me somewhat the most because abstaining from alcohol meant that I wasn't actually putting any, you know, messing with my blood sugar levels. So I started to realize that a lot of it was chemical, not just emotional in my body. And I think there's something there that needs to be explored still when it comes to eating disorders. And there are people doing that. And, you know, I had to, I've had to take multiple actions multiple times. And every day I have to take a decision not to go there. You know, it, it starts with me. So, you know, it, you know, external things can happen to us. And if we let our thoughts get the better of us, if we let our anxiety get the better of us, then we will go back into old patterns of the past. Because one of the things I'm learning very much is that the body registers your memory, you know, and if your body is experiencing, your body is going to relive out your past experiences and go there because that's what it knows. You literally need to trick your body, you know, uh, into, you need to live the experience. So your body tricks your mind into believing a new experience. So this might sound a little bit out there, but you know, uh, when I, you know, when I got free of bulimia, it was, uh, it was a, it was a decision. Somehow it was a decision I made. And it's not that I didn't want it in the past, you know, because I did. No one wants to be bulimic. You know, it's it's really, I mean, I would say that the fact that I can talk about it today so freely and openly is a miracle. I thought it was the kind of thing I would take to my grave. I was so ashamed of it, Chelsea. Like, I was so ashamed. Um, and because there were moments when I was really on top of my career and living my best life, and yet I was you know, miserable inside and being sick and having a very bad relationship with myself and, uh, you know, obviously, consequently, food um, and, you know, hiding that. And that was probably my lowest moment. You know, when you hide something, you're living in, uh, you know, you're, you're living a lie, you know, you're hiding from the real world and you're hiding from yourself because, you know, you know, deep down, there's a lot of shame in that. And uh, I felt a lot of shame for a long time. So, you know, today that I can talk about it, it's not, it's not a sexy subject to talk about bulimia. <laughs> but, you know, I'm like, woohoo, let's talk about bulimia. You know, it's like I feel very open to talking about it and very free to talk about it. And I'm very proud of that, actually. You know, there are so many people suffering in silence and it is horrible. It, it really is horrible. Um, it, it is a horrible disease and very few people managed to help me get through it, to be honest. You know, I went to every single therapist. I tried everything and it was practically impossible. So, um, you know, for me to be here with you now, we're talking about it openly and this is going to go online. I'm like, okay, fine. Anyone, any, any questions about bulimia, send me any email. I'll answer you, you know? Well, I think you're amazing. Thank you. It is about getting in control of your thoughts. If you don't own your thoughts in your mind, they can take you to some dark places. Um, you know, and especially once your body has deposited those experiences and those memories in the past, you'll just keep going back to that, you know? So even if you don't want to be sick or if you don't want to take drugs or you don't want to drink, that's what you're, you know, so you'll go there again. 
So you have to gain control of your thoughts. And I did work, extensive work. I do every single day. I still always, I'm a big advocate for therapy too, because I think that finding the right therapist to speak to is a great way. And and I think being able to have these open conversations, Chelsea, you know, where we can talk about this because today, and that's what I try to do in dinner conversations with women, let's open this conversation. Let's talk about anxiety. Let's talk about addiction. Let's talk about depression. You know, let's have these conversations. Let's talk about eating disorders because people, we read about this stuff, but people don't talk about this stuff enough. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't feel shameful to have an addiction or to have a problem with anxiety or to need help. There is no shame in asking for help. You know, more people than you know are suffering in silence and just get it out there, get it out there, start asking for some help. So if you've got a family member, if you don't, I mean, today you can go online and you can practically join any kind of 12 step program. I think 12 step programs are fantastic because there are fellowships out there with communities and you can straight away find people that have similar experiences to you. And you realize within 10 minutes that you are not alone out there. And I think that is the best advice I could give anyone. And you don't need any money to join a fellowship by donation only. So, you know, you don't need to go and see the best rehab or the best therapist. And you have to be prepared to do the work, you know, whatever it takes. If you've got to do a 12 step, if you've got to show up to therapy a couple of times a week, if you've got to do your daily meditations, then you've just got to show up and do those. So hence one of my show up, you know, quotes. So, you know, if you want change, you've got to be the change. Yep. What is your theme song? (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking that now Rocky or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's probably that. I mean, there's so many of them, really. But that's definitely one where, you know, uh, if you if you've got to get up and make a change, you know, there's a good one by the Foo Fighters as well, which is all my life, you know, it's like all my life, I've been searching for something. And again, it's like that something's within you, you know, it's not something exterior. And, uh, you know, that that's when you just take action, you know, like the only person that I can count on is me to change me. I love that we're talking about this. I mean, I've even felt like this at times. So You're I, a pretty positive person. Thank you. I think if anyone today listens to this podcast and says, I've never felt like this, they're lying. So, and, and I think that we live in a world that does everything possible to make you feel like this, even if you don't feel like this, even if you didn't come from that kind of difficult background or, you know, you didn't have those uh, problems in your life or a strange family. I mean, you know, we are challenged left, right, center, back today, you know, and we need to keep it authentic and real, you know, which is why I'll go back to saying again and again, meditate, 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 because, you know, that is the time where we get back to us, you know, no matter what's happening externally. And, And definitely COVID has shown us that. And, you know, to be able to go through, um, you know, a period like COVID, which is huge mass instability globally, you know, people lost their jobs, their lives, I mean, their lives, you know, uh, family, um, money, homes, you know, how do you get through that? You've got to get through that, haven't you? You've got to move forward, no matter what happens to you, you've got to move forward. You're a woman of action. <laughs> I mean, that's very, very clear. I love what you did during the coronavirus. You are already vocal. You share your your thought leader and you really took charge. During COVID, you launched a platform to help end violence against women at home. You 
saw a problem and what did you do? You turned around and did something about it. Can you tell us a little bit more about this and how we can get involved? Yeah. So, I mean, again, gratitude is the pathway to success, to any kind of difficulty. It's a solution always. It's always a solution. And I think that at the beginning of COVID, I was definitely feeling quite sorry for myself. And I was like, wow, you know, I spent three months feeling sorry for myself at home, locked in with my 13 year old daughter. You know, this is not a good look. And I think one night I went to sleep um, about a couple of nights into lockdown. And I thought, wait a minute, you know, I get to go to sleep in my nice apartment and I get to feel sorry for myself. But, you know, actually, you know, I'm running a, a female platform, Empowerment Platform. What about those women out there that when I go to bed, their, their horror begins? You know, what about these women that are prisoners of violence inside their own homes and they can't get out? And I just felt really, really propelled to do something. Now, I've never really run charities before. And it's been a difficult, it's been a difficult subject for me to feel comfortable talking about because it's another one of those things, isn't it? When you talk about, if you go to dinner party and you talk about, you know, violence against women or anything, or, you know, kind of any form of abuse about women, you're always going to have somebody at the dinner table saying, yeah, but she asked for it. Oh, but she knew what she was getting into. And I'm very tired of these conversations because there are women and children that regardless of the decisions that you've made in your life, no one deserves to be treated like that. That is just not acceptable. It's not okay. Yeah, maybe you married somebody that you know, you knew was violent. That doesn't mean that you married somebody going, oh, well, it's okay for him to hit me, you know? And, and I think, again, we have to have more conversations about what's really going on in people's homes, in people's relationships. And COVID for me was really obvious for that. I was like, wow, you know, the whole government, everyone's just telling you to get off the street, stay at home, stay at home. But where are the guidelines to staying at home here? No one's giving anyone any guidelines to stay at home. And so I just uh, got in touch with um, the charity in Italy called Telefono Rosa that basically is the national helpline. And I started out by just saying, right, I'm going to use my platform to send out the telephone number, you know, so that everybody knows that there's this telephone number. So if anyone knows, and I ask every single influencer that I know to share this telephone number. And from there, we just started a GoFundMe page. And uh, I've actually been doing any kind of work, influencer work that anyone asked me to do during COVID. I actually donated the money to uh, to the fund as well. And we've donated it over to the Telefono Rosa to help any women, to house women. And, you know, domestic violence went up by 60, 70%. And then I was very happy to see a lot of governments taking action on that, especially, you know, in New York, Governor Como, he was great, you know, very vocal about that. But in France were as well, in Germany, and having secret codes for women if they need to go to the chemist and, and need help and ask for help. And, and thank you again, Chelsea, for your donation. You know, that was really important. So how can anyone be involved? Well, we, you know, the campaign's still open. We have a GoFundMe page. Um, we will be doing more work. I mean, now, as I said, we've, we've, uh, we, we got to an objective and now there will be another conversation starting. I want to talk about it more. I'm just going to like keep pushing in people's faces. I'm quite disruptive like that. I'm rebellious in that way, Chelsea. <laughs> we need to have those conversations. You don't like it? Sorry, that's life, you know? And those conversations need to be, you know, they need to be at dinner tables. I think it's important that we end the taboos against these conversations. I'm really inspired by how you're teaching other women to be in their own lives. I've learned so much from you already just by knowing you for 
a short period of time. Thank you. Before we end the conversation, I'd love you to tell us about Wonder Pearl. Well, that was an idea that came up because I became, through dinner conversations, very good friends with the founder of the Juice and Clean Beauty brand here in Italy called Depura Vita. She's actually a Turkish woman. Her name's Sandra Nassima. We became close friends. And, you know, uh, she had the resources to produce products, which is what she does anyway. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could make something for women, you know, that supported women on a daily basis? And, and I just thought, you know, like some kind of something soul nourishing is what came to my mind. So, and she said, well, you know, and I, she'd been doing these pro uh, sort of these little chocolates that, um, that were sort of protein and, and I thought, well, what about if it had properties like almost like miracle type properties, like anti-aging, antioxidant, had a shen tonic, which basically creates female vitality. And she said, well, you know, pearl powder has that. And he said, well, you know, let's put the pearl powder in a chocolate and let's make it a pink chocolate because, you know, anything pink always looks better. Um, and it's fun. You know, I wanted it to be fun. So I, I had this idea and I came up with this name, which was Wonder Pearl, because we put 500 milligrams of pearl powder into a ruby chocolate. And a ruby chocolate is actually naturally pink chocolate with no colorings and tastes like berries, but has no berries in it. It's a fourth type of chocolate after dark milk and white and there's ruby chocolate. And uh, so we created this fun product. It wasn't the easiest time to launch it, I'll admit, Chelsea. You know, we launched it during COVID and we were obviously going to do a huge launch in Milan with all our influencer and VIP friends. And, you know, it's going to be a big thing. But we are still hopeful that that will happen and that will happen in... uh, maybe September, maybe October, maybe November. Let's see how it goes. Um, But I think the idea is to keep creating what I describe as soul-nourishing products for women, you know, products that can support women's lives daily and what are the difficulties that we go through and what are the things that we worry about, you know. You know, those, you know, every woman worries about their skin or, you know, feeling good. And And I think that there is no price on well-being or inner peace today, you know. Um, The other thing we're looking now, working on is building dinner conversations retreats, you know, places that you can go when you need mentoring in your life. You know, when you have a hard moment, when you're, you know, you're up against a wall and you just, there's no way you can back down from it. You need to be taken out and literally carried out, you know, and, uh, and somebody have like somebody sit there with a pep talk, you know, literally wake up from the morning and somebody getting in your ear and saying, right, it's going to be like this. And I've definitely had those moments in my life and had to do it on my own. But not everybody manages to do it on their own. So it's definitely my dream now to create these retreats. And I'm hoping that for 2020, we can start to create this already. Uh, small small retreats for, you know, 10, 15 women where they will not be a, a typical yoga retreat, but they'll be more about a place to come for sort of mentorship to get over an obstacle that you're struggling with in your life. Wow. To create the future you want and how you're going to do that. You know, you need tools. You need to choose it. You need to decide it. And uh, there comes a point in your life where you need to take that decision that that's what you're going to do. Yeah. You know, I want to encourage with this conversation all women to be bold and brave and, you know, go after your dreams and truly believe that they are in your reach because they are if you believe they are. Oh, thank you so much for sharing with us your story, your wisdom and your tricks and your tips. (laughs) it's always so good to talk to you Chelsea there's so much more we'll save it for another episode you know 
Thank you so much for joining us for this fun and fascinating conversation with Natasha Slater. And thank you for listening to the first Millie podcast ever. Please join me back here in two weeks time for our next conversation. I'll be talking with political and sustainability consultant, Elena Christopoulos, who has been very close to the U.S. presidential race. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit subscribe, share with your friends, and visit us at millie.ca.